Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. Want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Let me see if I can get all our five networks straight, all right? YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Got them. All of our five streaming platforms. Uh, guess we're getting bigger and bigger. Welcome to everyone. Want to welcome our moderators. Of course, Singer Chick, Saz is also with us on YouTube, as is Khaleesi. Welcome to Philip Thompson, Colette, Jennifer, who's with us on Facebook, CC Weezy is joining us, TB Edits is with us, Sammy is with us, Lindsay Sparks is with us. On the Instagram side, we have Anat, Perwiz, uh, Lacano Marie is moderating, Yousef, welcome to all you guys on Instagram. I hope everyone's enjoying their evening tonight. Uh, a correction from yesterday's show, this was very important for me to announce this to Marco, for Marco. He wanted me to clarify, uh, yesterday he mentioned uh, Halloween's nurse as Marion Crane. That's not correct. Marion Crane is the character that Janet Lee played in Psycho. The actual nurse's name from the Halloween movie is Marion Chambers. So it was very, very important to him that I clarify that up. So there you guys have it, okay? The tale of two Marians. Uh, anyway, I want to welcome Jade, who's with us from the Philippines. Um, let's see. Uh, I said CC Weezy is here with us. Uh, so let's just get on to some news that we have uh, over the last couple of, you know, days, really. Not a lot's been out there. It's the Christmas season. And every show, pretty much every show that sh that is shooting, they all, you know, shut down for the holidays, give everybody a break, let them go back with their families and so on. So it's kind of been slow. But the first thing on our list today is Angel Theory, who plays Kelly on The Walking Dead, puts her hearing loss front and center. When she was first told she was losing her hearing, it was difficult for Angel Theory to accept it. Now, this is not the character Kelly. This is the actress, uh, Angel Theory. As a dancer and choreographer who relied on sound, Theory felt she was losing a part of herself. But years later, her hearing loss has proven to be her superpower and has led the 21-year-old down a path she could have never imagined. Theory, who plays Kelly on AMC's The Walking Dead and stars in the new Facebook Watch original horror series, Kinderfanger, didn't set out to act. The New York City native, all right, New Yorker, grew up dancing with the dream of becoming a professional choreographer. She tried, she trained at the Broadway Dance Center, XPG Studios, and Paradance Studios, taking tap, hip-hop, jazz, ballet, and contemporary classes. For years, though, she only showed her passion for dance to her family. After mustering the courage to perform at a, at a school talent show, it wasn't until her teen years that theory really began to shine. She won first place at the show, validating her talent, and began performing amateur nights in the infamous Apollo Theater, which is in Harlem in New York City. Theory became an Apollo child star, winning first place in six consecutive competitions. Her first big break came after director Lenny Bass hired her to work with Philip George in the Wish You Were Mine and Charles Perry's Stranger to Love music videos. At this point, Theory believed dancing and entertainment was her life's purpose. But around the same time, when Theory was 13 years old, she and her mother were in a car accident. Soon after, Theory realized she was losing hearing in her right ear. A few years later, another car accident would happen, resulting in nerve damage and other injuries for theory. It ultimately led to even more severe hearing loss. Going through my hearing loss, I didn't realize at the time 
how drastic it was, Theory said. It was something I kept very personal to me. My mom knew, of course, and close friends and family members also knew. But being a person of color that's gay and also in high school, it wasn't something I was very open about. She did tell her management company, I-K-I-G-A-I Management, and in 2017, when Theory was around 17 years old, she got an email from her agent that would change her life forever. Her agent said The Walking Dead was looking to cast a person who was hard of hearing slash deaf, and they wanted Theory to audition. At the time, uh, Theory wasn't necessarily looking to act, but was also still learning and coping with the loss of her hearing. This is a great story. I never knew this about Angel Theory, and this is fascinating. She had she had quit, admitted to her. She had quite admitted to herself yet that she was hard of hearing and could eventually lose her hearing entirely. However, she decided to try out for the role anyway. Thank God she did. They wanted me uh, to simcom. Uh, sorry. They wanted me to simcom the entire script. And you know, most of these words, I don't know. I never actually signed. And I don't even sign in my normal life. So I was like, I'm not sure if I can do this, uh, Theory said. Simcom is an abbreviation meaning simultaneous communication. It is the act of communicating in sign language while also speaking the words. I was pretty shaky, Theory said, but then I was like, you know what? I'm going to be mad at myself if I at least don't try. The worst thing that can happen is a no, but I'll be upset if I never tried. Theory tried out for Connie, but did not get the role of Connie. It went to Lauren Ridloff, another actress who is deaf. However, Theory impressed the writers so much that they created a new role for her. She became Connie's little sister, Kelly. And as I've pointed out before on this show, in the comic books of The Walking Dead, Kelly is play, is a male character. It's a man. Uh, now we're getting a little backstory as to part of the reason why they switched the character over to a woman. Once I got the role, it was something that I just fell in love with instantly, Theory said. During her time on The Walking Dead, Theory learned from her doctors that her hearing loss was indeed getting worse. The new actress struggled to come to terms with her new reality. She grew up with music as a dancer and a choreographer. Her talent revolved around her hearing. The realization that the music doesn't sound the same, or I will have the... or, or I will have the volume all the way up. It doesn't feel like anything's happening. Stuff like that just made me feel like I'm losing a huge part of myself, Theory explained. I just felt like a part of my identity was being taken away. Theory also grew up in the, he in the hearing community and hadn't personally known any deaf people. She feared she would be judged for her hearing loss, making it difficult, difficult to speak about openly. But Theory did have one person to turn to, uh, her older sister on The Walking Dead, Lauren Ridloff, who became like a real sister in real life. I cried and I told her how I felt. I told her how scared I was when it came to music and dancing and just not being seen as normal, Theory said. She helped me realize you can't change it, but at the end of the day, you can allow yourself to adjust in a positive way and still be able to do the things that you love to do, regardless of your hearing loss. In the end, the writers of The Walking Dead actually wrote the part 
of Theory's personal journey into the show. They made her progressive hearing loss a part of her story. Wow, that was a great article. Uh, personally, I did not know that about Angel Theory. And it just goes to show you guys, when something happens that seems really screwed up, and you think your life is over, nothing's ever going to be the same, uh, there really is positive stuff that can come out of it. I know through my journey, I've suffered back injuries that have made me not be able to work uh, normal jobs. Uh, I thought my life was over. Eight months ago, I started doing this live stream. Well, and here we are today. So just because something bad happens, it just means another door is opening for you. And it's up to you to walk through that door. Uh, I have learned through my own journey, uh, self-pity is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you anywhere. You got to accept the cards, the, the hand that you were dealt, pick yourself up and make the best of your situation. And at the end of the day, you will see that you are in a much better position than you could have ever have possibly thought you could be given everyone's own personal circumstances. So that's what makes that story uh, personal for me. And I really wanted to share that with all of you guys. Uh, Colette says, well said, Viz. Thank you, Colette. Uh, Khaleesi says, I can only imagine how hard that is for her as someone that loves to dance. Going to the dance thing, my wife was a dancer in high school. She went to college to study dance and a series of knee injuries uh, killed it. It killed any chance of her career as becoming uh, a dancer. Well, lo and behold, you know, now she is a doctor of occupational therapy and she's helping, you know, dozens and dozens of people every day when she gets up and goes to work to the hospital. So, like I said, just because uh, growing up, a particular dream that you may have as a youngster growing up does not pan through uh, because of circumstances that are beyond your control. It just means there are other great opportunities awaiting you. And I hope everyone takes that to heart. And, you know, at the end of every show, guys, I close this show off uh by saying, stay walking. A lot of people think that's a reference to The Walking Dead. And it is, to some part. Uh, the way that term came to be is, I've explained this before, the first video uh, back early, early this year, before I even started doing this live stream, I did my first commentary video. And at the end, the words just came out of my mouth. As I was recording it, I'm like, oh God, that was so stupid. I'll delete it when I do the final edit. But when I heard it back, I'm like, you know what? That's not so bad. And stay walking, uh, you know, when I close out each show by saying that, it really has nothing to do with The Walking Dead. Nothing whatsoever. For me, stay walking means that whatever life throws at you, you pick yourself back up and you just keep on going. Because life is not fair. It's not fair. And for all the, the younger generation watching this who are coming into their own right now, life is not fair, okay? I've been around the block several times. Uh, there is no fair, fairness to life. You got to make it what you make it, and it's up to you. So anyway, I'll get off the high perch right now and continue on with some more news. Now, if you thought that your identity... Uh, of course, we all know anybody's identity can be stolen, and there is nobody exempt from that happening to because it happened to Norman Reedus, who plays Daryl Dixon on The Walking Dead. Norman Reedus warns fans after having ID stolen. The actor who plays Daryl in the long-running Apocalypse series tweeted fans to be careful and revealed that a fraudster has also been falsifying his documents. As a result, he put a message out telling his followers not to accept anyone 
pretending to be him with only one official public account. He wrote he got word someone is using a fake passport and driver's license soliciting funds from such people. He says, that ain't me. Don't believe him. And, you know, use some common sense, guys. If you get an email or a message from someone claiming to be Daryl, Norman Reedus, who plays Daryl, asking for money, yeah, that's not Norman Reedus. Norman Reedus is not going to go around asking people for money. Uh, Fans soon flock to wish him well, to share their own experience of fake celebrities trying to con them out of money. You know, with the invention of the internet, has brought on a lot of great things, but it has opened the doors to con artists from around the world. Days are long gone where you have to meet someone face-to-face in order to con them out of their money. And it's amazing watching some talk shows on TV, how people fall in love with the love of their lives, according to them, that they have never met. And these are people who are pretending to be somebody else. And these, you know, people who I can just sum up as just being lonely. And they want someone to talk to And that makes them vulnerable. And it makes me very sad. And they hand over thousands, some hundreds of thousands of dollars over to, over to these fraudsters. And it, it just makes you want to find these people and just put them all in jail. Uh, Colette writes, it happened to me with an author, but I told him to get bleeped. <laughs> I would too. I've, you know, so many people have tried to con me. Uh, you don't know how many messages I get a day from people, uh, con men, trying to offer me money to promote, uh, for me to give them access to my social media accounts, where I have a combined like 340,000 followers. Uh, and they try to con you into doing that by offering you sponsorship, advertising, where they'll pay you like $1,600 per post. It's the complete scam. And if you ever doubt if something is a scam or not, all you guys got to do is look at the email address, okay? If someone is claiming to be somebody, and I'm not saying the email address part where you get the email and it has the person's name. That's not the email address. That's the display name. When you actually open up the email and you go to the from part, it will show you the actual email address from where that person is sending you that email. And if it's coming from a Gmail address, I guarantee you it's, it's it's a fraud. It's a fraud. No reputable company out there uses Gmail as their email system. It's meant for personal use, and it's used by millions and millions of people. Uh, So if you see that something that looks to be professional, looks to be authentic, look at where it's coming from. And if you see gmail.com, you can be guaranteed that it's fake. Okay? Look at us. We have uh, our own show. We have our social media following. My email address is viz at deadtalklive.com. I'm the only one who owns that domain name, deadtalklive.com. So, you know, if you if I send you an email and you see that it's from viz at deadtalklive.com, it's for me. If you get an email from somebody pretending to be from this show uh, and it says Gmail, start to question it. <laughs> anyway... Uh, Khaleesi writes, like the saying goes, if it sounds to be too good to be true, it probably is. That is absolutely correct. CC Weezy writes, damn internet scavengers. Yeah, absolutely. So it happened to Norman Reedus. It can happen to anybody. So guys, please be careful. Even I myself, who has an IT background, 
I have come very close to actually believing something, but I always know the little tricks and what to look for to identify the fraudsters and so on. But it doesn't mean I've never been scammed. I've gotten lucky and been able to get the money back or the products back in my early 20s when, you know, internet scamming was really starting to take a hold. And I learned my lesson the hard way. Luckily, I've never lost any money, but it came, it, it got real close, real close. Um, Colette writes, I sent everything off to the publisher to look into it in case someone fell for it, plus to clear the author's name. Yeah, absolutely. And if you get solicited by someone to be claiming somebody else, yeah, there is a place where you can report it. But you can imagine these government agencies and how much they get overloaded with these requests of uh, people submitting fraudulent emails and so on. There's only so much they can do. Anyway, moving on. Angela Kang runs runs into snazzy L.A. mansion. Even as it enters an 11th season... Positively geriatric by television standards, AMC's monster hit, The Walking Dead, continues to be the highest rated scripted show on cable. That success has spawned off spinoffs like Fear, merchandise, games, and a library's worth of fan fiction. It's also reaped record financial rewards for its top brass. Series creator Robert Kirkman recently bought a $7 million Encino mansion. All right, Rob. Executive producer David Albert scored $15.2 million Brentwood estate. And now current showrunner Angela Kang has significantly upgraded her residential circumstances with the $3.5 million purchase of a nearly new San Fernando Valley home. Uh, Good for them. That's awesome. Me personally, I would never buy a home in Southern California. Uh, Can you imagine what the earthquake insurance must be like? Even uh, if they even, I mean, I have no idea. I've never lived. In Southern California, I've been there a lot of times, but damn, all those homeowners, if you're taking out insurance on your homes, and especially homes in the millions and millions of dollars, and it's obviously Los Angeles, the entire state of California, the entire West Coast for that matter, is a big earthquake uh, area. Uh, One day it's predicted that uh, Nevada is going to be Oceanside property, but anyway, you know, can you imagine? I'm like, I would never buy a house in, I would never buy a house in a hurricane zone. I would never buy a house in an earthquake zone or any other kind of natural disaster. Uh, Lindsay Sparks writes, good for them. Colette writes, wow. You know, CC Weezy, I, I thought the exact same thing. Uh, CC Weezy just wrote, Every time I hear Brentwood, I think OJ. Me too. As I was reading that and I read Brentwood, I immediately went to the OJ Simpson thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. I, I, and so did Khaleesi. You know, I don't know how many of you guys were around uh, back in the 90s with the OJ Simpson debacle going on with the murder that took place at uh, his wife's uh, Brentwood estate. But yeah. The word Brentwood got just seared into our minds because of that. And I actually, I'm not, I'm actually ashamed to admit this. On one of my visits to Southern California, uh, we were actually, we drove right past that house. I wasn't driving. I wasn't the one that asked to go there, but uh a family member who was driving drove right past the estate and said, look, here it is. I'm like, okay, wow, let's keep going. Anyway, uh, located in the leafy pocket of the increasingly desirable Valley Village neighborhood, 
The gated modern farmhouse style build was completed in 2019. So it is a brand new house and, so, and sold almost immediately for $3.25 million to Deborah Atticott, the ex-wife of San Francisco Kings owner Vivek Randeeve. Although Atticott held on to the place for barely 12 months before flipping it to Kang for a $250,000 profit before closing costs, taxes, and maintenance. And you guys know how much of a big paranormal movie fan I am because I actually believe that the paranormal is real and it exists. And if somebody buys a house and is selling it less than a year after they bought it, for me, that's going to sound, that's going to, you know, set off big alarm bells. And the first one, because I'm so paranoid about this, is it going to be, is this house haunted? Even though it's a brand new construction, was it built over some kind of land that is haunted? I'd be like, uh-uh, that don't sound right. Even if she did make a $250,000 profit in 12 months, yeah, you take away closing costs, taxes, which are ridiculous over there, maintenance, you're walking away with a profit. It ain't nowhere near $250,000. For me still, that would still set off alarm bells. So anyway, inside the decor has a cohesive theme of warm, neutral tones with wide plank, white oak flooring and off-white walls. The open concept floor plan has distinct areas for casual living and designing, along with a fireplace-equipped den, space that adjoins the kitchen, which is all clean lines and a bounty of top-notch stainless appliances, shaker-style cabinetry, and a walk-in butler's pantry. A walk-in butler's pantry. I have never heard of that. Uh, I mean, I, I'm i a middle-class guy. I live in a three-level townhouse, 27 miles outside of Washington, D.C., which is also a ridiculously expensive area to live in because of its proximity to Washington, D.C. Uh, there's five of us, me, my wife, and my three kids, three-level townhouse. And, you know, it was great when the kids were little, now we have, you know, five fully grown people and it seems a hell of a lot smaller and I've been pushed into my little corner that I've carved out for myself into our, uh, you know, basement, which is where I'm doing the show from right now. I would love to have a house like that and imagine having my own huge home office. I would love to have a house that has a guest room, but hey. Who knows? Maybe someday. <laughs> Other main floor amusement include a home theater, home office, and a guest bedroom suite that could also function as maid's quarters. Wow. Kang 44 has served as the Walking Dead showrunner since the start of season nine and as a series writer uh, for a full decade. On the second front, the Orange County native and longtime husband, Eric Fisher, continues to maintain other L.A. property, this one a duplex, the tiny Hancock Park neighborhood. So there you guys have it. I felt like Robin Leach there in Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. So... <laughs> Uh, Colette writes, I have family in North and South Dakota, Virginia, Washington, and my aunt lives in California. I've got family spread out all over the country as well. Singer Chick writes, still have a half hour. Oh, talking about how much time we have left on the show. Uh, sorry guys. Uh, we are going to be talking about demonic possessions today as portrayed in the movies. This last article is not something that we haven't discussed a million times already. Why Glenn did not have to die. It's like this horse is dead and we keep beating it, pardon the pun, with a baseball bat. 
There are lots of people who can't watch The Walking Dead, that episode where Glenn meets his demise. From the moment Glenn came to the screen in The Walking Dead's first season, lamenting Rick's idiotic behavior and the way he was drawing uh, geeks toward him, fans fell in love. Glenn was someone you could relate to because he was just a guy dealing with an impossible situation. I like how they call Rick's, uh, you know, lamenting Rick's idiotic behavior. I would have said Rick's idiotic decision to kill a whole bunch of unknown people and not knowing what kind of shit you're stepping into. Uh, because that's what got Glenn and Abraham killed, as well as, another, as a prolonged war that started because of that as well. Um, his job as a pizza delivery guy gave him lots of helpful insight on how to maneuver around the city. Let's not, his, let's not forget his memorable exodus from Atlanta in a sports car while the alarm was blaring. Fans of the comics expected Glenn's death to come when the, when the survivors encountered Negan and the Saviors. We thought that was going to go a different way when Abraham, played by Michael Cudlitz, was the first one to get to meet Lucille face-to-face. And we were shocked to find out that we lost two major characters in that episode. And, uh, you know, the writers, producers, and so on, they felt the effects of what that had because that has not happened since. That has not happened since where they killed off two huge fan-favorite major characters in a single episode. Yeah, you can point to the uh, Kingdom Day uh, Massacre Fair, the Kingdom Fair Massacre where Alpha took out a dozen people and put their heads on spikes. Yeah, we lost uh, Henry, we lost Tara, we lost Enid. But I love them all, but when you compare them to the popularity of a Glenn, especially Glenn and then an Abraham, I don't know, it's a little different. So later on, though, things started to deviate as the show switched things up. Angela Kang took over as the showrunner in season 9, was able to play with the story even more thanks to the departure of Andrew Lincoln's Rick Grimes, setting the stage for even more changes. For example, comic book fans knew who would end up on Alpha's Pikes, but Kang's teams worked in a few surprises. King Ezekiel is still alive, when he would have been dead if the show did follow the comic books. Given that the show has indeed made a few changes from the comic books, the truth is that Glenn could have lived and someone else could have taken his place in the clearing. Well, yeah, no, duh. If Glenn had lived, everything would be different, not only for himself, but for Maggie, as their destinies were intertwined. Maggie could still be the leader at Hilltop, where they could have raised their son together. The rift between the communities might never have happened. Negan could still be locked up. Now, they're making some wild assumptions there. Glenn Glenn could have stepped in when Rick disappeared to help Michonne in Alexandria. He would have been a natural leader who was respected by everyone because he was such a good person. If Glenn was alive, things could be so different. Now, let me ask you guys this question. If Glenn never died in that season seven, episode one premiere, how many of you guys still think Maggie becomes leader of the Hilltop? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Remember, it was Jesus that pushed the idea to Maggie to take over from Gregory, and the people of the Hilltop really liked her. They trusted her, and she did eventually end up becoming the leader. But, you know, if Glenn was still alive, how many of you guys think Glenn becomes the leader of the Hilltop? Or Glenn and Maggie together? I don't know. We'll never find out, but it's something, it's definitely something to think about, you know? Uh, so, yeah, the right in that aspect, Glenn's death did change up uh, the entire 
series moving forward, you know, a lot of questions, a lot of things would have turned out differently. Would Maggie become the Hilltop leader? Would have been would it have been Glenn and Maggie? A lot of things. A lot of things can change on a single decision. Uh, I want to welcome Ruben, who's uh, joined us on YouTube. Colette on Facebook writes both, probably. I could see them both together being very good, strong leaders. We know Maggie by herself was a good, strong leader, but having Glenn with her as well, I think makes her that much stronger. But like I said, it's just something that we're never going to find out. Anyway, let's move on to tonight's topic. Today's topic, we are going to be talking about demonic possessions that we have seen throughout the years portrayed mostly on film. There have been a few TV shows. Uh, One that comes to mind is Robert Kirkman's Showtime show, Outcast, which, uh, to my disappointment, was not renewed beyond season two. I don't know how many of you guys have saw Outcast. That is another comic that was written by Robert Kirkman, and it was great. There's a movie that came out recently. Uh, Even though we read an article stating that its release date is January 18th, it's been out for several, several weeks on Shudder. And it's called The Cleansing Hour. It's a brand new film. And uh, what this film is all about, it is uh, technology meeting exorcisms. You have this so-called priest who does a live stream every night, a one-hour live stream, similar to what we're doing right now. And the show and the movie is actually called The Cleansing Hour as is the show of his live stream. And in that one hour, he has a new person that is supposedly possessed by a demon, and he supposedly plays a priest, and he exorcises the demon from the host, I mean, yeah, from the person being possessed, all in an hour, and... He, you know, I'm not going to, I want you guys to see it. I don't want to ruin it. Uh, Lindsay has not seen Outcast. I recommend you watch Outcast. It's a very different take on demonic possession. Uh, so I'm not going to ruin the movie of uh, the cleansing hour for you because it's still pretty new and I really want you guys to see it. But anyway, uh, as the movie goes on, They've been doing these fake exorcisms where all in an hour show, this priest, let's call him a priest, cleanses uh, the possessed from their demon, uh, you know, entities that are possessing them, all neatly wrapped up in an hour until the one time where, guess what? The person that steps in to play the role of the person who's being possessed actually does become possessed. And that's where things go sideways. And it's a really entertaining movie. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's a, it was very surprising on how good it was. Uh, the, the ending is going to really shock you, but it's called The Cleansing Hour. I know for a fact that it is available on Shudder. It's probably also available for renting or buying on other popular streaming services as well. So if you guys are out there and looking for a good movie to watch, I recommend The Cleansing Hour. Another uh, show that I want to talk to you about, I I don't know how many of you guys a few years back watched a three-season show called Penny Dreadful that aired on Showtime. Uh, I loved it. I was such a huge fan of that show, and it lasted three seasons. It centered around uh, a character by the name of Vanessa Ives who was tormented. And it's a, a, a TV show where you actually get to see all of the classic monsters throughout the ages, like 
Dracula, the Wolfman. Uh, but there is one uh, episode where the main character, Vanessa Ives, becomes possessed literally by the devil himself. Okay? Now, the whole premise throughout the, the three seasons of Penny Dreadful, it centers around uh, this one character, Vanessa Ives. Uh, and she gets possessed. That episode of her going through that possession and uh, her friends trying to help her uh, all the way to its climactic ending of that episode is by far one of my favorite, favorite demonic devil possession sequences because this is just a single episode from a three-season show uh, that I have ever seen. It is just amazing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant uh, cast that is in the series. Josh Harnett, um, and a lot more that their names are eluding me right now, which is embarrassing because I, they're all such famous actors. But yeah, check it out. Check out Showtime's Penny Dreadful. It lasted for three seasons. Now, they were supposed to make uh, a second part that was a completely brand new story. Uh, the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful take place in the Victorian age in London. The second part of the show was going to take place in the early 1900s in Los Angeles. It was getting ready to film production. I do not believe it ever got released or it has not been released yet. I have not checked up on it to see what the holdup is. But if you watch the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful, and if you have Showtime through your TV subscriber, you should have access to the show. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. Lindsay Sparks watched it as Colette also, Colette also watched it, loved the episode. Lindsay Sparks says that was such a great episode, loved Penny Dreadful. I loved it as well. And I fell in love with the character of Vanessa Ives. You want to talk about a character who is absolutely tortured and is just haunted in so many different ways. Uh, damn. I mean, you got to see it. You got to see it. Anyway, let's take a look at the list of possession movies. All right. Now, first on the list is The Exorcism of Emily Rose. This is a brilliant movie. Uh, one of those sleeper hits. Great story. Uh, everything is told through flashbacks. Uh, with this tomato rating, Scott Derrickson horror movie scored poorly with critics but the audience has given it a better score and it's fair to say that critics can just flat out be unjust and wrong. This movie was great. The movie tells a story of a trial with a Catholic, a Catholic priest portrayed skillfully by Tom Wilkinson being accused of negligent homicide as he previously insisted on a series of exorcisms to combat a mysterious psychotic condition young student Emily Rose suffered from. An agnostic lawyer comes to work on the case and the limits between faith, science, and the paranormal become completely unclear. Aaron, Father Moore's lawyer, Unable to find another defense, has to do the unthinkable. Prove in court that demons are real. Great movie, great sequences. Uh, I mean, what other better way to describe it? The sequences when she is possessed and they're trying to do the exorcisms on her. And this is not much of a spoiler, but she is actually possessed by, I believe, six different 
demons. Six at the same time. Next on the list, I'm not taking this too seriously, is Jennifer's body. Yeah, she was possessed, but this is more of a light-hearted, but yet gory film. It's a good movie, but it's not the in the seriousness as some of the other movies on this list. But, you know, they still have it listed. Now, number eight. Oh, my God. 1987, Prince of Darkness. I would not call this a possession movie because nobody actually gets possessed in the way that we're used to. But how many out there have seen John Carpenter? I believe, yeah, John Carpenter did this. John Carpenter, Carpenter's 1987 Prince of Darkness. Uh, here's a little summary on the movie. John Carpenter's much-celebrated return to the horror movie seemed to be not very well taken by critics. There are those damn critics again. Considering this picture's tomato meter, tomato meter rating, the plot features a group of scientists, students, and a priest investigating an abandoned church and unleashing a great evil, which leaves the last survivors of the team on a mission to save humanity. Some critics found the film a welcome return, while others throughout the script were very badly written and the acting was inadequate. I completely disagree with that. But the, the signature Carpenter aesthetic will leave any fan satisfied. This film features a surprising cameo of rock star Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper is in this movie. He plays one of the homeless people outside of the uh, church. So as I'm thinking about this and I'm remembering more of the movie, I have seen this movie so many times. I guess like the role that Alice Cooper plays, one of the homeless people outside of the church. Yeah, they are all possessed in the way. They are all being taken by this evil entity that is about to be unleashed onto the world. And it's up to this small group of scientists, a priest, uh, to come up with a solution. And this movie, make no doubt about it, it's scary as hell. It is riveting. And I don't know what the critics are smoking who gave it a, a low rating. This movie is fantastic. And I would put this in my top 20 favorite of all time horror movies. Number seven is 1985 Demons. This Italian film was directed by the famous Dario Argento, uh, better known for his zombie movies. And others is set in a Berlin cinema where the audience watches a quite disappointing horror film. However, the real horror is soon to happen when viewer after viewer transforms into a beast and the few human survivors have to fight against a horde of demons. I bet you a lot of you guys have never heard of this movie, but this is another must-watch. Uh, Dario Argento, great filmmaker, he directed this. This is really scary. Uh, it will have you sitting at the edge of your seat, and it's great from beginning to end. Number six on the list is Ava's Possessions. Um, Rotten Tomato critics seem to mildly appreciate this film, although just the premise itself is definitely worthy of praise. This Jordan Galan picture follows Ava, a young woman who has previously been possessed by a demon. In the film universe, demonic possessions are believed to be a real phenomenon. Therefore, Ava participates in an intervention program and then tries to take her life back. While some critics found the film poorly written and generally flawed, others thought it was an interesting and original take on a story that has been told quite a few times. Now, 
Another great movie. I can't believe it's been 10 years already. The Last Exorcism. Loved by critics of Rotten Tomatoes, this Daniel Stam film is praised for its clever twists. The film adopts an interesting take on exorcisms as a minister agrees to participate in a documentary about his own past exorcisms, but at the same time receives a call for help by a farmer whose daughter is affected presently by a demonic possession. Another great movie. All right, number four on the list. Now, I have never seen this movie, but as I was doing my research for tonight's show, this movie appeared on several different lists, and I'm actually going to watch it tonight. I have... uh, queued it up. I put it on my watch list. I'm going to watch it on Amazon Prime because that's where it's available for streaming. I have not seen this movie, but as I was doing my research for tonight, it has appeared almost in the top five of every demonic possession list that I've researched. With a certified fresh Rotten Tomatoes rating, this movie is praised for its unique take on the possession subgenre and its sinister atmosphere. A production made in Germany, Tolman singer Luz tells the story of a cab driver who gets in a car crash. Luz is hypnotized by a doctor to bring back the memories of the previous night, but a demon she summoned in her past comes to possess the doctor. The film was critically acclaimed for its experimental technique, But some critics found the plot inconsistencies. And listen, guys, there are always plot inconsistencies. Whether it's a TV show or a movie, there's always plot inconsistencies. And if you're in there watching a movie for entertainment or a TV show for entertainment, you gotta sort of put those aside. While the audience seemed to moderately enjoy the film, considering the mixed reviews that exist online. Number three is a movie, 1981. Uh, this is going way back. Possession. With an audience score of 79%, this is the most liked by the audience film of the list. Directed by... Andres Zulowski, this co-production of France and West Germany, has elements from horror, psychological, and the drama genres. It tells the story of a woman who neglects both her husband and her lover, as well as her child. She then becomes passionate about a strange creature with tentacles who lives in her house. Uh, damn. Uh, Khaleesi writes, did they remake Possession? I do not think so. The one they have listed here is the original 1981, uh, version. Number two on the list is House of the Devil. With an original perspective on the haunted house story with simultaneous blasts from the past, this film has a certified fresh rating in his praise for its nostalgic, homage style, and insidious atmosphere. Uh, The movie, directed by Ty West, follows Samantha, a college student who accepts a job of caring for an old woman in a remote mansion to encounter a series of alarming incidents and killings and finally be dragged in a demonic ritual. The film was critically acclaimed and won a Best Actress and Best Original Score Award at the 9th Screenfest Horror Festival. What year is this movie? 2009, so it's 11 years old. Don't remember this as well. I know I've seen it, I just don't remember it as well. Now this first one, that's number one on the list, is such a great movie that I actually rewatched it again a couple of days ago. 
It's called The Taking of Deborah Logan. It's available on several different streaming services. It's a uh, footage film of... Uh, well, let me read what it says. Adam Rubin tells The Taking of Deborah Logan is a found footage film. I don't like the term found footage, meaning this is not found footage. It is just a footage film, which features a PhD student wishing to make a movie about Alzheimer's disease. The student follows elderly sufferer Deborah Logan and her daughter Sarah, but the findings become more and more alarming, and it seems Alzheimer's isn't the only thing messing with Deborah Logan's mind. Most critics found the film was very well crafted and unsettling. What it definitely was is a clever and haunting allegory about Alzheimer's and old age and how these are viewed in a unforgiving society. And like I said, the taking of Deborah Logan was so good that I have seen it several times and I watched it again um, a couple of days ago. And Colette is right. She says, I think The Exorcist was the best. And The Exorcist is the movie, the grandmother, the mother of all demonic possession movies. Uh, back uh, at a time when it came out, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, the shock factor that people experienced watching The Exorcist in the movie theaters. Linda Blair herself got sick when she actually watched the finished product on the screen. It is a movie that was well beyond its time. You can watch it today. And you can see how even movies still being made today are still following the precedent that was originally set by the original The Exorcist. And in the minute or so that we have left, I received an article in my alerts that they are making an Exorcist sequel. Now, The Exorcist does have two sequels. The second one sucked. Sorry, there's no better way to put it. It sucked. Uh, the third one with uh, George C. Scott was pretty decent, but they are bringing The Exorcist back to life, and they're calling it a sequel. Now, does that mean this is going to be The Exorcist Part 4, or is it going to be made in a way like Halloween 2018, where you take the first movie, you forget about the two sequels that were made afterwards and focus as this being the actual sequel. So I don't know which way they're going to take it. Uh, but either way, I'm intrigued. I also loved the TV adaptation of The Exorcist. Uh, the first season following two priests uh, who are performing exorcisms around the world. Uh... And when we get the big reveal in that first season of The Exorcist, it lasted two seasons, that the character, you know, when you're watching the show, it takes the, it has the title The Exorcist. But as you're watching it, you meet all these new characters. Besides the title, you don't think it has any attachment whatsoever to the original movie until you find out that it does. And I remember the first time watching that scene where it's revealed uh, the, the relationship the Exorcist TV show has to the original movie. I was just blown away. I was literally blown away. I don't know how many of you guys watched that TV show, but that's another recommendation for me. Anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, a little scheduling note. Tomorrow is going to be our last show before the Christmas break. So we will be on the air tomorrow night. And then we're taking Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And we'll be back on the air again Monday, 
the 28th of December. So tomorrow is our last show before our Christmas break. Just some uh, scheduling note there. Thank you to Lindsay Sparks, who says, awesome show as always. Uh, Lindsay, that is very much appreciated. And I want you to know that I see that every night. And I've come to look out for it. (laughs) So thank you so much for being a part of the show, Lindsay. Thank you to Colette. Thank you to Singer Chick. Thank you to Khaleesi. Thank you to Saz, who's been moderating. Thank you to Marie, who has been moderating on Instagram. Uh, well, you know, I'll see you guys tomorrow night. Stay safe. And remember, always stay walking. Good night.